Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone. I hope you're having a great day. I certainly am. Um, I was doing a little introspection after my interview with today's guest, Kelly McNellis. Uh, Kelly is a community builder. That's what she is, man. She created Women for One, which is a massive virtual community of women supporting women. I think they have like 400,000 Facebook followers. I mean, she's just got, she brings women together. She's also an innovator, a mom, a wife, and more. You know, Kelly discovered the power of sharing our stories to both help us heal and to help others feel less alone in the world. So here's the deal. Kelly is an incest survivor who only started processing her abuse and subsequently healing later in life. As she went through this process, she identified the stages that helped her heal most and realized that her path could potentially help others. So Kelly recently wrote Your Messy Brilliance, Seven Tools for the Perfectly Imperfect Woman, and then went on to launch the inaugural Truth Teller Tour. And that's why she was in Boulder and why we finally connected in person. Um, I spoke at the Truth Teller Tour in Boulder at this cool place called E-Town about something that I have often mentioned but haven't gone into detail about is my history with alcohol. Um, Yeah, really fun. But when I went up on stage, you know, I started talking and a bunch of stuff just sort of came out. I, I had prepared and I had a bunch of points I wanted to make, but when it was over, I literally had no idea what I said. And this was the first time that I let all that shit out publicly. It uh, it took me a while to actually watch my talk. And when I did, I don't know why, but I watched it backwards in sections. <laughs> and, I, and I realized that it's a really good talk. And while it was difficult and embarrassing and painful, it was important for me that I finally did it for myself and maybe for some other people out there. I mean, I was I was pretty tired afterward and 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 uplifted at the same time. It's such a weird feeling when you sort of open up or you crack open a little more. And I mention this because that's what Kelly's life's work is all about. It's about helping people move forward, gain acceptance from themselves and find support and love and and in the end happiness. So by the way, if you're interested now, um, I included a link in the show notes to my talk and the Truth Teller Tour. You can watch the entire thing if you want. It's like three hours long. But um, I have a note on where my talk starts if that's what you want to want to see. So before we get um, get rolling with Kelly, I am excited to share my sponsor, Health IQ. They help healthy people get better rates on life insurance. It's super easy. 
You just go over to healthiq.com backslash RTW, that stands for Run This World, and take their health quiz. And someone will contact you. Um, if you've done a race in the last year, it's really easy. They just grab your results off Athlinks, and uh, that shows that you're indeed a healthy person who places a priority on health and fitness. And if you haven't raced, you can send them stats from your fitness tracker or whatever. So here's the deal. At the end of the day, the good news is that runners who persist in running over time, and that's on average 5.9 years, if you've been running that long, you have a 29% lower risk of mortality and a 50% lower risk of death from heart disease. That's a fact. I can include the fact checker in the show notes. Truly a fact. So kudos to all of us. And the better news is that 56% of Health IQ customers say 4 to 33% on life insurance. So, hey, we deserve it. So check them out at healthiq.com backslash RTW and tell them I sent you so they know I'm working hard. Also, I think I've mentioned that I'm the founder of this pretty awesome company called Skirt Sports that helps women find happiness through the best fitting, most comfy, cutest athletic apparel around. Um, Skirt Sports is through the months of May and June offering you 15% off pretty much everything on the site except for try and cycling stuff and not outfit deals, but 15% off everything else. Since you are ultra cool and you listen to the best podcast ever, I just want to share the love. Plus, um, I want to help as many women find happiness as I can because I know that what you wear matters. So here's what you need to do. You might have to write this down or pause and put a note out. You're going to enter the code RTWPODCAST15 at checkout. That'll give you 15% off on the website, skirtsports.com. If you come into the store in Boulder, just tell them you listen to the podcast, RTW Podcast 15. All right, everyone, let's get Kelly McNellis on the show. So, Kelly, thanks for coming out and joining me. Are in, we, are in, we yeah, doing it? We're rocking. We're rocking. Okay, here oh, we in go. My, in my <laughs> messy home. Oh, it's not messy. Well, here's the thing. Like, it's beautiful I realized messy. <laughs> it is. And I realized there's like, in my head, there's a difference between messy and dirty. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. So like, I don't see the piles in my house. That's mess. That's right? mess, right. But I clean my house underneath the oh, piles. it's very organized. The piles just get put back in. That's right. <laughs> and it's brilliantly messy. That's what it is. That's what I call it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, so what does that say to you about someone when you walk into a house that looks like mine? Oh, it feels... Well, I'm a an, like kinesthetic feeler. It just feels warm. And it feels like you like it like you like it. And it's perfect for you. Oh, my gosh. Gosh, I love that. So this is all about embracing our perfectly imperfect. Yes. Is imperfectness a word? Imperfection. I, I think, <laughs> I don't think perfection exists. No. I, I have a strong belief about that word. It doesn't exist. So why are we trying to get there? You know, and I think like as young girls back, because we're similar, we're in similar age yep. brackets. Mm-hmm. You're slight, I'm a little older. You're a little ahead of me. <laughs> um, and I'm really excited that you're going to turn 50 this year. Does Actually, does age or that number mean anything to you? You know, it's funny. It hasn't meant anything, but now it is kind of interesting because all of a sudden this year is my 50th year. I hear myself saying, you can do this. You're almost, you're older than most people in the world. That's what I say to myself all the time. I'm like, you know, why are you nervous? You're older than, you're wiser than most people. So I have this little coach inside my head that turns it around positive. <laughs> oh, that is so 
cool. <clears throat> um, they talk about like midlife and then you can back it up and be like, that was my quarter life crisis. Well, guess what? Lifespans are changing all the time. So that's right. There is no midlife anymore. No. Nope. Nope. Um, you, you know, when you came in, you mentioned like you might have a little bit of nerves for tonight. Yes. So, so this podcast is going to air a few weeks after the inaugural Truth Teller Tour. Yes. Truth Teller Tour. Truth Teller Tour. You made it hard for people to say that. <laughs> it's awesome, though. Um, so this is a really cool event where you're helping women come out and uh, speak their truths. In and- their, with their voice, because I believe voice is so powerful. You know, we have the written word on Women for One. And I love that women have come to my community to share their experiences and stories, yet there is that peace once you put it out in the world with the word, the spoken word, which I know you know about. It really does make it more real. It does. And like, have we lost a little bit of that art? Is it being revived? I don't know. I mean, I I think, you know, I don't think we've lost the art. I think it's just we need to keep encouraging it. And when I thought of doing this, I mean, it just came to me. And I was like, what do I want to do with everything going on with the Me Too movement and the Time's Up? I thought, you know, why can't women not only share their stories of harassment and abuse and victimhood right and and overcome that and claim their power and voice why can't they share every experience and that's what we do on my site with the spoken word and that's what this true teller tour is about well and you know i in thinking about this there's a couple things that come to mind because you know i met you through a mutual friend who's Mm -hmm. this amazing woman who helps develop speakers and not just speakers she helps people find their truth and then like have the tools and skills to share share it through the spoken word that's right um so shout out to erin weed yeah (laughs) she's gonna be speaking tonight too so when you have a chance we're gonna send you back over to the link so you can watch the truth teller tour because we're live streaming it tonight absolutely and so it'll It'll live on it will ever yes and we're gonna use it as a promo to do other tours around the country. And I'm going to morph them, kind of like the feminine principle. I'm gonna morph it into what that town or community wants. So one might be a day long, one might be inside a conference. I really don't think we need to have any rigid guidelines other than women really standing up and and claiming their voice. Oh my gosh, so let's talk about the spoken word because words can both hurt deeply to the core and they can liberate yes and they can celebrate like tell me your thoughts about why the spoken word is so important you know when you just said that it brought up something personal for me that i had happen a couple of weeks ago um and i'd like to talk about it because i just thought you do know, it you said words can hurt i didn't realize how intensely words could hurt until i mean you know i've always known you know you really have to when your thoughts come up be conscious of your words. You know, we always hear that from the Dalai Lama or other wise people, right? But I had a very uh, dear friend, um, kind of dear ex-friend, if that makes sense. Like <laughs> someone that's in my life all the time, yeah, yeah. but it has to be. Oh, totally. Okay, okay. let's just say it. my ex-husband. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, who we've effectively co-parenting, co-parented children for many, many years together now. My, my oldest is 23 and my youngest is 18. So a long time said some really hurtful things and I watched it and myself allow those words to go in me and affect me. And I didn't know it happened until after, like I felt it. And now I'm trying to kind of recover from it. So I think we really need to, when we talk and when we speak our truth and when we speak our words, be conscious of them and be conscious of the the ramifications of 
what you say to people, whether it be text, spoken word, written. I think it's really important. Oh, it is. And our kids are picking up on it. Yes. Big time. Very much so. And it's not only the words themselves, but the tone. And the intention behind it. The intention behind the words, I think, is really important. Oh, totally. So this is funny. Tim, uh, my husband, uh, edits the podcast. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm going to tell you something he told me (laughs) last (laughs) night we were talking because I've been pretty sick for a while, like on and off, totally functioning sick, right? Mm -hmm. I work out and stuff through the sickness. So it's not like you haven't seen me for six weeks. I've just been kind of sick and it always gets worse right before bed. Me too. You lay down. I got it. Yeah. yeah. And um, I constantly like wake myself up with this scratchy little tickle in my throat. Mm-hmm. And then I lay there and I guess I'm swallowing or like <laughs> doing so like nasal drip is I don't know what's going on. But Tim was like, you know, I read an article about the rise in couples who are sleeping separately because they value a good night's sleep more and in my head I was like more than what (laughs) and I said to him you know Tim I get it like I value a good night's sleep too and ever since Wilder was born we really haven't had the best night's sleep but um if you take away us even just laying side by side in bed together we take away a lot of the intimacy that we have during the day I agree and so it's the words that are said or the implication maybe not from him but what I experienced, right? Yes. What you experienced. So I took that or as him saying <clears throat> that uh, intimacy is not important, which I know he didn't mean. Right, but you still took it that way. I right. took it yes. that way. And so how do we protect ourselves from like... I love that. Stop that. Well, I I think, you know, what you just did, got curious about why you took it that way. You know, the tools in my book talk about that. Get curious and get an awareness of how we react to others, you know, and, and what they're saying. And be curious about where they're coming from and where their perspective is. I mean, we could take that to the grander scale of everything in life. Politics, relationships, ourselves. Get curious why we react a certain way. I think it's important to not make assumptions. Oh, that's so huge, that whole Mm -hmm. assume thing. Yeah, (laughs) I love that. (laughs) When you assume. (laughs) The first time someone said that, and I'm just going to say it out loud because maybe some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, but they were like, when you assume, you make an ass of you and me. And um, I was like, whoa. And why does everybody that says that say it exactly like that? I I say that too. When you assume. I do the same thing, you know. (laughs) Yeah, with the body language. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, we we walk through our lives making assumptions. Mm -hmm. And that's what often can turn into these, like, negative vortexes of, like, Yes, we hold on to things issues. and we resent. Yeah. And then and then oh. we have self-esteem issues. Oh and my God. We're all walking around in our own reality, I think. <laughs> so I think it's really important to get curious about those assumptions and the experience of others. And how can we do that? Having shared experiences and telling our stories. Totally. And you know, it's actually coming around to your book, which is called Your Messy Brilliance, mm-hmm. Seven Tools for the Perfectly Imperfect Woman. There's so many parts of this title (laughs) that like are important. But right now we could talk about some of the seven because we're hitting on the first one that you bring up, which is curiosity. Mm -hmm. So why is it that like when we're in our 20s, we often that curiosity doesn't come forth. This is my assumption. Right. Okay. Or generalization Mm -hmm. that maybe in my experience, 
I wasn't curious at that age. I was still fumbling around. But, you know, in my nice mid-40s, I'm happy to be curious and pick apart the things I've done. Like, right. what is it about coming to this need for curiosity later on in Right. Well, I don't know if I agree with that. I have a lot of 20-somethings in my life. And I don't think it's age-related per- uh, personally, I don't feel like it. some of the millennials I hang out with are some of the most mature individuals I've been around. Yes, they don't have life experience that we do sometimes. Yet, I really feel that that they are 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 thinking in a much more evolved way a lot of times than we are. So, with that said, I think if we apply curiosity, it's really about really about maturing your personality. And yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. totally. So okay, so these millennials these millennials they're like 10 years younger than me and you um 20 (laughs) well i know they're for me yeah and um but they they have this bad rap of being lazy and when Mm -hmm. i talk to millennials that are not lazy they're so pissed i know they're like this sucks because it's the exact opposite of what i am and they are so much more advanced than we yes, are. but they do have a little bit of a like, I know better than you. But that's what you have to have in your 20s. Oh, yeah. I don't no, think that's millennial. Okay. It, that's but, at any age yeah, or I, generation. But, but I think it's okay to have that because they have this yearning to do better than us. And don't we want our children to to evolve and yes. be better than we were? That's yes. my goal in life. Oh, totally. You know, I, I want know. them to, to thrive and have joy and passion in their lives. Okay, so what happens, <clears throat> like, let's, I want to take people through a little bit of your messy brilliance, and then we are going to suggest highly and consider that you buy this book. Because <laughs> it, there are tools in this book that I think are great for anyone at any time, and there's some sections that really encourage you to dig deeper than we obviously will today. Right. I mean, they give you, you give people like checklists and, and encourage them to journal specific things, you know, to right. get to the heart of and, the matter. Right. And when I did those exercises at the end of each chapter, I did them with the thought that um, my target demographic for this book is mostly women our age or, you know, between the ages of 35 and 60. And we're busy. We have a lot going on. So I have um, three sections. I didn't want it to be one of those books that then you beat yourself up for actually not getting through one of those self-help books because I have a million of them that I start and I don't finish. But what I intentionally did with this book is I have um, something called a simple fix. And um, that's the beginning part of an exercise at the end of a chapter. And it's wonderful because you can take two minutes and apply the tool to your life versus diving in. And then if you really resonated with the lesson and the tool, you can dig deep and it's a longer exercise so we have choice around that oh I love that I know choice is important yes yes and it's a tool and it is a tool oh my gosh it is it's tool number five (coughs) um so you know you have this natural curiosity like why are you how you are or why are you stuck or why are you grappling with some issue right or why is someone else true so we don't take make assumptions right so let's talk a little bit about your background then yes and the things you grapple with Mm -hmm. I mean one of the things you mentioned freely and that is like gut-wrenching as a mom to a six-year-old is that you're a survivor of incest yes but like did it sounded like and I don't know your story all the way Mm. deeply right um that you weren't as aware of this Mm -mm. until you were older yeah I didn't I I think a lot of um people that have PTSD they they put their memories um they, they really submerged their memories. And mine came out in my mid-30s, truly, like early 30s, I would say. It started 
um, with some red flags around my sexuality, not understanding why I wasn't in the mood and, and being afraid of my husband at that time and for no real rational reason. So I got really curious and did some deep, deep work and did hypnosis and had some memories come back. And I still have more memories come back to this day. So oh, it's wow. a long, it's a journey of a lifetime, I think, um, having these, this kind of abuse. So how do you handle each memory as it comes? Is it like hit you like a wave? Well, yes, and that's a really good question because um, what happened is a year ago, I've always spoken very publicly about this, but a year ago I went to the International Pacific Northwest International Women's Festival, and it's the first time I spoke to several hundred women and came out about my actual incident. And it was so powerful, and it was so draining, and I went back this year a month ago and spoke again. And you know what happened to me last year after I got home? I fell in the bed exhausted after I spoke, went to bed, and woke up with another wave of a memory. So it's almost like I had cleared a layer and another layer came in. And so I talked this year about it's a journey, it's messy, there are layers, and we can't just say now that we're all over this and now that we have Me Too and we're all speaking out, you know, we're fine and empowered. We need to ask ourselves, what is our what's next after we've shared our story? Well, because you just bring up like this concept of being over something. Mm -hmm. Like, is that, I don't, I want to believe that in theory that you can get over things and mo keep moving forward in a positive way but what does that really look like right i think it's percentages and i think it's just more deeper awareness of what you've been through because i for years was like when am i gonna get over this because it hurts so much and now i've kind of surrendered into this is part of me i've integrated it i don't identify with it it's here and so I'm starting to separate from it a little bit more, but I'm not pushing it away and wanting to get over it. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. But mm -hmm. you know what happened for you or part of this journey is that when you let out some of it mm -hmm. in different ways, maybe. Spoken or, word, right? Spoken word. It, <clears throat> um, it allows you to continue healing and growing. Right. I know there are people listening who have something that they have put a big hard shell around that's sitting inside their heart or their gut or wherever we hold our things. Right. We all hold them in different places. Mm -hmm. Isn't that crazy? We all have some too. And we all have some. And I, I truly believe that it's the first time you talk to someone else about it. You don't have to talk to several hundred people. No. <laughs> no, just speaking it or writing it. And that's what Women for One is about. Oh. When reading feel, yeah. about someone else so you feel more connected and that's why you know even the people that come to my site that just read about other women sharing is huge for them and they may never want to share their story publicly and that's fine well and it doesn't have to be public <clears throat> but do you think that sharing it to someone at some point yes, is important i definitely do whether it be a therapist a trusted friend i think it's important but it depends on what kind of process you are some people really would be better journaling. I'm a verbal oral processor, so I need that. I need yeah. to verbally process things and be witnessed in my pain. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. That's like crazy. <laughs> oh. But I get <clears throat> it because I think I'm a little bit similar in that sense too. Mm -hmm. And I do think, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking back to like some of the big, I'm going to talk tonight about one of the struggles that I, I have had in my life that um, has been sort of over for about 10 years, but that's a struggle I had with alcohol. Mm -hmm. And you 
when you're in it, you don't want to see it usually. Right. And it's not until you maybe know that there's a problem, but you still don't want to see it or say it because the minute you say it, your life is going to change. That's right. And you know that mm-hmm. no matter what it is. No matter what it is. So it's taking that first deep breath and saying it. But as soon as you say to somebody else, I have a problem, or this is what I'm going through, or this is what I did. Yes. And these are often things that you have this emotion called shame mm-hmm. <laughs> tied right. up in, right? It and starts unraveling it. It starts mm-hmm. to unravel. But you also, like what always surprises me is the love and support and acceptance on the other side. Yes. And how you realize you are so not alone. Right. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. So when you talk <coughs> about like you went through uh, this horrible thing as a child, you didn't know what, you know what had happened, but maybe it had created a little bit of who you are or some of the mm-hmm. things that uh, cause you to maybe block people out or whatever it was, mm-hmm. right, that this incest experience did. But as soon as you said it out loud, did you realize, like, did people come to you and say, I've also been there? Well, Nicole, I, I love that question. And the reason I do is because, <clears throat> yes, I did have people. And we need to be really strong when we make the choice to speak this. And we need to be very discerning on who we share it with because it's messy. And I have family that doesn't speak to me because I spoke publicly about it. I have people that have judged me for airing dirty laundry that really, you know, I was kind of raised in more of a secret keeper house and it's no fault of theirs. That was just our tradition in our family. That's how they survived. Um, So the way they see it, they go into judgment. So you can feel really unsupported and vulnerable if you're putting yourself out there blanketly without getting the necessary support systems around you before you do it. Oh, that's such a good point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And yes, it's great. You know, it really does. You can garner that support, but I think you have to be discerning about it and make conscious choices around who you share with and when you're ready to share publicly. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, who, like, so for someone listening, first of all, tune in to the Truth Teller <laughs> Tour now. It won't be live streamed now, but video to see some women talk about things that they've probably kept secret for a very long time. Because, yes, there are some more seasoned speakers that are going to be on the stage, like me and Aaron. Right. Um, but there are some women just from the community who submitted their stories because they're ready. That's right. And you know what's so cool about them? I have to tell your your community as well. All three of them, I had a conversation with each of them last weekend because I wanted them to feel safe and supported before we did this Truth Teller tour. And I told them what it was going to be like. I asked them if they had any questions. Every single one of them found out about Women for One and submitting their story because a friend encouraged them to tell their story. And I think that's huge. This isn't like, oh, I know about Women for One, or oh, I want to promote my, commu- my what I'm doing. Or no, all three of them said to me individually, and they don't know each other, said, you know, my friend saw this and said, you need to share your story. It'll help others. And I'm terrified, but I'm going to do it. And I thought, what? how incredible is that? It's, it's <laughs> amazing. So what is this need that we have to help others? Like, are we born that way? Is this a f- more of a feminine thing? I know men want to help others too. You know, why are I we- I just think it's so feminine to nurture. We're just born nurturers. It's and you true. know, I, what I do before every um, interview, before every speech I do, whenever I'm sitting with women, I do a meditation where I see all these women from every like lineage, every culture, every country, every age, 
And I mean, not present now, like, you know, decades ago in the past, in the future. And I call it the feminine thread and I see them all holding hands around me and supporting me and it uplifts me. So that connection I think is really important. Women want to feel less alone and they want to feel like they're not the only one that went through it. We as human beings want that. But I think for women, it's really, you know, they, they hold tribe, they, you know, the red tent, you know, they hold a lot of space for one another. It's true. <clears throat> Good thing we don't have the red tent. <laughs> but maybe it's not. Maybe it is the place that you need to come to bond, right? Mm -hmm. So what's our version of the red tent? Right. Well, this this night is really about women coming together. And and I I do want to share that I had a man that was going to be speaking, but he couldn't rave in wells. He couldn't make it. And I really wanted some masculine energy there because I think there's so many incredible men out there that have embodied their own feminine that that can really support us in yes. moving forward as, as women in this world, including my husband and well, yours, yeah. you know? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Like I was saying to Tim the other day, like this is the time like yeah. to be a feminist, Tim. Can you imagine <laughs> calling yourself a feminist? He's like the epitome of masculine. And he, I think he's there because not only of the work I do, but because of being a father to a daughter. Yes. That somehow does it. Um, I want to talk about shame. Like, <laughs> I know Brene Brown talks about it a lot. Yeah, you know, we like, all talk about it. John Bradshaw, I've written, I've read so many books on shame. So like, is this <clears throat> an emotion that's important? Well, I mean, it's it's a core emotion, right? It's 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 a byproduct of fear, I think. And a lot of people have written on it. Um, I'm a feeler more. I'm not a, an intellect where I want to dissect the word shame or the the, the, yeah. the definition. But um, I know when I have shame and I watch my children have shame and I'm like, where did that come from? I really tried to let them let right. go of their shame, whether it be body shame, whether it be, you know, mental, emotional shame, shame that you did it, didn't get it right. You know, hiding, secret keeping, that's all this shadow side of things that we need to dive in and look at because it's like this monster in a closet and as soon as we open the closet it's really not that bad right that's actually really true it makes it gets worse as you push it and shove it away you know one of the things you just mentioned is you know pretty i'd say uh, widespread through the women listening to this podcast men listen too and they also suffer from it but you mentioned body shame you know, we talk about body shaming other people, but it really starts usually with our own shame yeah. for our bodies. And as a woman, you know, here's me, former pro athlete, like everybody's like, oh my God, you look amazing. Yeah. But we all have these times in our lives or moments in our lives where we're just not 100% there, mm -hmm. feeling connected to the body that we're actually in. I think we have more women more women than men that feel that way because of what society imposes on us. And then we internalize it. And then you've got like the sexual abuse layer over that. I mean, I've had body shame my whole life and now I'm understanding the layers around it. And I mean, even I did this um, healing school four years ago and my paper in it after four, uh, 12 years ago, I did it. My paper was called How Beautiful Am I with a question mark because it was all about my body shame. Oh, I love that. And you know, really owning that, yeah, I'm gonna have body shame. Like, okay, it, it, it's not gonna take away from my life though. And when it starts taking away from your daily life, I think we need to just sit with it, watch it, 
own it, call it out like you talked about, and it will start to dissolve in percentages well, if we understand where it's coming from. But And you think about it because you've got six children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you've got this amazingly messy, blended family, right? Mm-hmm. Let's actually talk about that for a minute. So you're married. <laughs> yep. You had three. I have three. We're the modern day Brady Bunch is what I they call love us. It. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> just take me through a little bit of like your first marriage. What was this like? And what was it like with your kids? And you mentioned having some distance from your husband and my, my your ex-husband. Ex. Yeah. My first marriage, it was a marriage of like, I came from a dis- really <laughs> dysfunctional childhood. And that's kind of funny to say, because I think we all have had our share of that right Mm -hmm. but you know i moved 17 schools k to 12 my father was an alcoholic he sexually abused me i mean i sound like you know i'm a a victim right yeah and um so i wanted to marry someone that i could be like the june cleaver wife and i said i'd never get divorced and i had this like beautiful house and everything was neat and clean and i had these three beautiful children my husband and i never argued and I wasn't happy. I was desperately unhappy. I lost myself in that marriage. And I had to do it to find myself, right? And, you know, very kind man. And I wasn't in love. And I started unraveling who I was. And I realized that I had to take the step out of the marriage for myself and my children to set an example for all my children that you have to live in your truth. So how did you know that you had lost yourself? I think there are people listening who might be wondering if they're living their own life. Well, I had a couple, you know, Glennon Doyle talks about bathroom floor moments. I had a couple of them, <laughs> but yeah. it was just over time where I kept hearing this inner voice going, this is not the life you're supposed to live. This is not, and I'm like, well, what is the life? And I started getting curious, like, what does that mean? Why am I not happy? And there was just no connection with us. And I just I just had this driving force that I knew I had to make a change and make it then. And did you have like a lot of people when they realize they're not happy, but then they like think about the state of the world and all these people living in like horrible conditions. Mm-hmm. All, they, there's guilt that comes with that because they look around, they're like, I have everything compared well, to 95%. On the external, on the yeah. external. But really, you know, what is everything? Everything is joy and peace inside myself, right? And I was terrified. And so I really held on to some supporters in my life. And I got the Zen proverb, that leap in the net will appear, because I was terrified oh to do it. Gosh. And I put it so on my scary. little fridge. Yeah. I moved out into this little place, and I put it on my fridge. And every day, I'd say it. And there was an element of trust in the universe or whatever you want to call it that I had. And I just put one step forward and did it. And I was so happy after I did it. Okay, we need to talk about that step. What was that? Was that sitting down with your husband and saying, it's over, I'm, I'm leaving? Yeah, I said, we need to separate. That's what I had said. I said, I'm, I'm, I need a break. And he was very angry. And we had years of... Um, separation because he wouldn't give me the divorce and I had guilt so I was like maybe I should make this work I have three little children so it was messy Nicole it Uh, wasn't you know it's I'm leaving and we're done and oh this feels so good it was three or half four years of messiness but you said you felt like relieved when you probably probably within six months I was like yeah I'm not going back it's happened it felt so good I felt free and so you know, I think I, I've definitely gone through this. Um, I'm sure most people listening have where I step aside and I go, am I doing the things in my life that I really care about? Like, am I doing what speaks to my heart? 
I, and I do that now, now that I'm married again, because I was a single mom for five years. And okay. I got remarried. When I'm having issues with my husband, first of all, I, I picked a, a, like an amazing life partner that challenges me, that's passionate, that's mature, that is just right for me. And you know what? I'm kinesthetic. Like I said, it's a feeling. And I always feel like I'm supposed to be with him. But I, in, in my marriage, I did not make a vow of, of a lifetime with him. I said, I told him I'll give you 10 years. And he laughed because he's a businessman. He goes, well, we're about to like uh, renegotiate soon, right? Because we've been together 10 years. <laughs> Wait, like, during your vows, they yes. were like, till, de- till no. 10 years, do you part? Well, I didn't say that, but I told him. I said, I'm not going to be out of integrity to myself. Let's try this for 10 years. And if it works, we can re-up. <laughs> so awesome you know it's funny i just <laughs> i took a trip to costa rica this year and mm-hmm. i would you know talk to the people we come across or surf instructors or photographers mm-hmm. whoever we're hanging out with and be like so you have a child yeah, yeah. okay so but do they we, they don't have wives they're not married right but the kid lives with them and i go oh so do you have primary custody yeah. and they're like no we just my girl they we live together like they don't get married Wow. Isn't that kind of cool? It is very cool. And actually, my <laughs> husband and I wouldn't have gotten married if we didn't have six little children. And we were like, we just wanted to create a container for them. Yeah. And so an intention and a commitment. Right. So we we did that. But there are times, Nicole, where I'm with him sometimes and I go, am I, you know, I went through too much to come to this place. And am I doing what I love? And, you know, I'll say that to him. I'm like, we need to really put energy into this relationship and work on it because we're both divorced and they even the rates I go into the fears Uh of the rates like less and he's like yeah we both need to like love our lives now so (laughs) you know it's funny because when you start to develop these tensions or this sort of you and your spouse or partner are kind of you can see that you're walking down different paths Mm -hmm. and this happens a lot right Mm -hmm. like you come together you're very connected for a while and then all of a sudden you're like kind of going up and down this path and um it's just it's an it's an interesting thing to me because you have to be able to have the awareness, which is one of the tools mm-hmm. that you talk about, um, to recognize that you might not be synced up right now, and that's okay. And, and but is it okay if your values are changing, or is it just your interests are changing? Like, I think it's customized. Like what mm-hmm. I do is I always when I'm at that space where my husband's name is Yom. Yom and I will be like. Oh my gosh, I want to kill him because we're very passionate together. <laughs> and I'm like, am I supposed to like, is this our values? I ask myself the questions you just asked. And I always hear, you're supposed to be here. So like, because I think there are some lessons. So I've tuned into one of my other tools, my intuition and my gut. And I have a very strong radio signal with myself. And when I get very clear and I get curious and I ask myself the questions, I think that is age. I think that is practice in meditation and intuition and really getting clarity on your voice. And so I feel pretty clear on, for me personally, in those questions and asking them about relationships and things in my life that I want to do. Okay. This kind of makes me feel like, you know, our lives are stories, right? Mm -hmm. And so people don't often take the time or have that moment where they realize like, this would be really cool to just write the story of my life. Pretend you're publishing your own book. Write the story of your life. I don't even know what I'd say if I had to write the story of my life. Well, there's so many stories. That's the thing. 
like I think it's kind of a cool and valuable exercise because it makes you both appreciate the good and the bad mm-hmm. because they brought you to where you are. Exactly. Because we spend a lot of time, like I'll even be out hiking and some negative memory from freaking college I know. will show up. And I'm like, what are you doing here? <laughs> and then I try to think about, you know, is it Eat, Pray, Love where she's like, take the memory, let it sit, <laughs> throw it away, you know? <laughs> but like... um it's uh i think those those times are important and so you can sit here and think about like a relationship that you're in and are we really still meant to be together and then you go well i was drawn to this person for all those things good bad and ugly yes the good bad and the ugly right so we do have to learn from one another and stay committed so i'm not encouraging people when they feel like their values are changing to leave you know, I think no. we need to get in touch with our guidance. Yeah, that's true. And when you say write the story of your life, you know, a lot of women will say to me, well, I'll come to your site and I'll read, but I don't even know where to start. And I'm, I always say to them, start with what's up for you. Just start with one story. It doesn't have to be the story of your life. It doesn't have to be even profound to others. It's just about starting where it, where you are now. That's such a good point. Mm-hmm. Um, well... Let's, uh, okay, I want to talk, I actually think this is pretty interesting still. We didn't really get much into your blended family. Oh, okay. So what happened when you, like, how'd you meet Yom and, like, (laughs) how did the kids come in? How did you, like, stick them all together? Because some of them are the the exact same age. Yeah, well, we, I grew up as an only child. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) So this was interesting. And I met him on a board of directors for a nonprofit in Seattle. And he came in and... After I had left my husband, I dated this man that was a musician and very spiritual and my external vision of what I thought I wanted in a husband because I had been married to this businessman and I was like, no, I need someone that wants to grow and is spiritual and that didn't work very well. <laughs> so when I met Yom, he was 10, he's 10 years older than me. He's this big business guy. He was, you know, big CIO of a corporation that was sponsoring this nonprofit and he would flirt with me and I'd be like... I just had no interest in him at all. And we went out um, to, we met, because I was supposed to orient him to the board. And we started talking, and we didn't stop for five hours, because he had three children, and we were both divorced, and I had three children. And I was like, oh my gosh, he's going to ask me out. And I wasn't interested that way, but I was interested in him and, and who he was. But I didn't feel that like sexual attraction at first at all. And... Um, my dear friend Julie was dying then. She had cancer and a, a very dear friend of mine who I was with through the whole thing. And I would go to her and she would say all these profound things. And I'm like, Jules, I don't know. I mean, he's not my type. And she said, well, how's your type working for you, honey? And I was like, didn't work very well in the past. She, I, she said, just enjoy him and just take the pressure off. And so I saw him for three months while she was dying. And by the three months after she passed, I had fallen in love. It was just the most, it's almost like it was a gift from her in some ways to just really enjoy myself. He made me laugh. He took me out. And then I just saw who he truly was after three months instead of what I thought I wanted, which is really amazing. Wow. Mm -hmm. Because he's everything I wanted. And and (laughs) what I think what that tells me is you don't judge on the first glance. No. Anything in life, be it an experience, Mm -hmm. a person, a job. Mm -hmm. You need to let things sink in. And listen to their stories. Yes. I Uh. I hate to keep bringing it back to that, but it's it's so true. So we we went pretty fast. Within a year, we decided to move in and, and get engaged. And we lived together with all six kids for a year before we 
got married. And it was amazing. We have two Jacks and we have two Kellys. His daughter's named Kelly and the, and the Jacks are um, the same age. And they we have the girls on the ends and then the four boys in the middle. And it's just incredible. I mean, they've, I mean, there's bumps and bumps in, uh, along the road, but they have really blended well. And I think it's because Yam and I made some really conscious decisions on how to co-parent and how to allow the other parents to be part of their lives and not yeah. try to be their mom or dad, but be their support. Oh my god. It's a gosh. big deal. So what's like the most important thing you do as a family to stay connected? We we always do a family vacation annually and it takes a lot to coordinate eight of us considering now everybody's getting jobs and graduating from college. We it's have three out. Too. It's expensive. We have three out of college <laughs> as of June and three in. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, so it's but we also like Tomorrow night, we're doing a family dinner. Seven of them are in town, or uh, seven of us are in town. There's only one down in California at Chapman that won't be there. So we really make the time to connect without anyone else there. And so it's committing to make the time. Mm -hmm. It's really important. I know, it really is. So like on that note, what do you think the most important thing you do every day is? You know, I was thinking about that this morning as I was getting nervous about tonight, and I don't usually get nervous speaking in front of people. Um, anymore for some reason <laughs> and I thought what am I looking forward to and I thought I'm looking forward to making dinner for my family tomorrow night and it, it makes me want to cry right now because it was so special to me that that is so important to me now you know when you're I'm sorry I'm crying because um for years you're working so hard and your kids are growing up and now they're all gone, like they're leaving. And so it's just, it's beautiful to have them all together and connect and love each other. <laughs> and, and to think about, you know, going back to what do you do every day? It's right. about taking that moment yeah, to see the bigger picture. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, oh we're God. building a house right now and the Makes house me want is, to cry. I know, the <laughs> house is for the children when they bring their grandchildren back. So we're very family oriented. And I think, you know, if you set that beautiful, space for you know and and love for the kids and you're always there for them they always you know come back yeah so uh you know you mentioned nerves yeah a lot of people listening do you know they experience nerves on on a on a weekendly basis because (laughs) they do a lot of running races oh right 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 um do you have any tricks or tips or is there why do you think you're not nervous anymore or nerves good I think nerves are good generally, as long as you can get grounded right before you do what you need to do. I I like the adrenaline before. Um, But last week I was on a book tour and I spoke to three different audiences and didn't even think about it when I went up there. Like, and that feels good because you're just channeling what you, what you believe. But the nerves are more about, I want every, I'm a nurturer and I want everybody and all the women to feel safe tonight and protected and it to go smoothly. So that's more about what it is than anything. You know, it's interesting for, for me with nerves, it's really evolved. Um, and I can't, my best example is through athletics, Mm -hmm. but when I was a pro and I was racing triathlons for many years, I was nervous before every race. And sometimes the nerves would start a week before a few days before it just kind of depended on the stakes of the race remember i was making money based on how i crossed the line oh that's right right. yeah so so the minute i started skirt sports i was never nervous again really why do you think that is well it's interesting i was nervous for trade shows for speaking to investors 
for skirt sports things, but I was never again nervous for an athletic event. Hmm. And I don't know why it could be that um, it didn't mean the same thing. Right. You know, I, I knew I could finish, and a lot of the nerves that I think we have often are, can I do this? Right. Like, right. can I even get, you know get off the ground, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's pretty interesting how yeah. that can shift and change. Yes, it can. And I think doing a lot of them and really feeling like, oh, I screwed up there, but wasn't the end of the world. And right. I'm human and it's yeah. messy and my whole message is messy, so it's okay. <laughs> well, and, and if you get back to speaking or writing your story or whatever, you it might not look like what you think it should look like or sound like that, but nobody knows what it right. was supposed to sound like. Exactly. So who cares? Just be yourself. Yeah, mm-hmm. because all they know is what they've heard. That's right. So there is no messing up. Right. Isn't that crazy? That's true. Um, well, here's the deal. You know, we both have a lot going on in our lives, and mm-hmm. we are women who are running this world in a sense, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> so what do you want to pass on to, like, the next generation of young women and girls who are coming up in this world and have a chance to maybe not make the mistakes we made or make them in a grander make way? Make them. I think I just wish I would have given myself more of a break when I was younger and not tried to get it right so much because that that impeded my progress in loving my life and being present to what actually is happening around me. Um, my son is 22 and he just is always like, I don't like my job and I wanna do something else. And I'm like, you know what? Be where you are. I remember when I was 22, I went to India and lived where Elizabeth Gilbert lived, actually, in the ashram for Eat, Pray, Love. I lived there. And I went there, and guess what? There I was. Because wherever you go, there you are. So really try to be where you are, is what I would say to all the younger women. And and just enjoy and serve from that place instead of trying to get somewhere else. Well, let's, let's just hit... We're going to wrap this up pretty soon here because we got a big event we got to do tonight (laughs) and we got some work to do. But um, you hit on, again, a point we brought up earlier, which was I I wish I wouldn't have tried so hard to get it right. And that has to do with this idea of perfection, Mm -hmm. which we we know doesn't exist. It does not exist at all. And I tell people that all the time. I I don't know why we're all I mean I do know why. Society is putting it on us right now. They and and we're then we're taking it in. So we have to make the choice to put that perfection down because inside our imperfection lies our genius and it lies our brilliance that we can offer to the world. I really believe that. Well, I believe it too. And you know what happens when we try to be perfect is that we can't, so we fail, so we often find crutches, coping mechanisms. We can go to the dark side a little more to try to recover from these imperfections that we have in our life. That's partly what I'm gonna talk about tonight. Right. With my little struggles with uh, alcohol and leaning in on, on that little crutch right. over the years when I was trying so hard to get everything else so perfect. I know, right? It's pretty amazing and a lot of us do it. A lot of us have a crutch, no matter if it's over-exercising, alcohol and drugs food uh, food oh i mean overeating gosh. i yes. love i love to eat hey. you know so <laughs> i think as a woman listening the, the food thing resonates on a mm-hmm. whole lot of levels yes yes absolutely because we're what we're really talking about in the end here is relationships mm-hmm. and what it really comes down to is your relationship with you it is and who would you rather hang out with a woman that's kind of not 
trying to get it right and forgiving herself that therefore she forgives you and you can have contact with or someone that's sitting there perfect and scared to share how they feel you know i mean we want to have contact with others so let's start having contact with ourselves and stop trying to get it right yeah <laughs> all right we're going to go into the very last question i ask everybody oh, who comes on this show <laughs> and that is if you could end the show here and give our listeners one final nugget one piece of advice to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way what would it be embrace your messy brilliance today (laughs) embrace it embrace it get messy and get the book you're messy (laughs) brilliant seven tools for the perfectly imperfect woman all right everybody this has been a blast kelly so much fun thank you so much for having me thank you for coming on all right let's go mess things up So what do you think? You know, I personally love Kelly's philosophy on embracing your messy brilliance. Do you love how we opened it up with talking about my messy house? (laughs) And she said, it feels awesome. And that something about that just changed my perspective. It's so cool. Um, The thing I love most about Kelly is her openness and non-judgmental just aura, right? Did I say that right? Non-judgmental aura. Just being around her makes you want to open up. And I think opening up is a really important step in the process toward embracing yourself as you are. Uh, Her book, Your Messy Brilliance, outlined seven tools that you can use to find more happiness in your life. And I encourage you to check it out can find it wherever they sell books. Um, Amazon's usually a good bet. And definitely check out the video in the show notes. You can watch the entire Truth Teller tour. I'm actually interviewing one of the other speakers from the event after hearing her story. So if you check it out, Susie Reinhart was the last speaker and she's coming on the podcast next. Uh, don't forget to visit healthiq.com backslash RTW if you're interested in getting awesome rates on life insurance. And definitely don't forget to visit skirtsports.com and use the code RTWPODCAST15 for 15% off the best active wear in the world. I'm slightly biased. Doesn't matter. It's still the best. Okay, everyone, that's all I got today. You know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout. And I'll see you next week.